I'm going to ask you to please turn with me your Bibles to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1 for Old Testament reading. And as you're turning, just know that Isaiah here is really rebuking the people of Israel for, for their wickedness going off and going away and turning away from the Lord and turning to idols, man. And that's just kind of the bent, even of God's people, man. Ah! And, and, and he's rebuking them. But in the midst of that rebuke, there's always that grace that comes through and that appeal to the people to turn back to God. So Isaiah uh, chapter 1 and beginning in verse 18. Well, actually, we are going to go back to 16. He says this, after, well, kind of in the midst of his rebuke, he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes and cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause, and come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now we're to Romans chapter 5, and this is really our coming to the end of our time in chapter 5. I know we've labored, but it's been so important to get this whole idea of what we've been talking about, and I hope it's been helpful to you, not just learning knowledge, not just being reminded of what you already know, but in your heart of hearts as we're living out our life in light of in light of our faith in Jesus Christ. So chapter 5, I'm going to read 5 through uh, 19. Uh, 1 through 9, I'm sorry, 12 through 19. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one's man trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as one, or as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And when the reading there, Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you again for your precious word. Give us clarity. Give us your insight by your spirit. Give us wisdom, Lord God, that um, we may truly come to the place of, of knowledge, of understanding, Lord, and that we may be brought to, to depths of 
of faithfulness and service to you and love to you that we haven't known before, even in our Christian life, as we see the riches of your glory and of your love and of your mercy and of your kindness poured out upon unworthy people, Lord God, sinners, Lord, who, who are in rebellion against you and yet you have seen fit to give life in Jesus Christ. I, I pray that we never lose sight of that because we were lost. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But now we're alive in Jesus Christ and we see and we know the truth. So bless this message to your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, praise God. So here we are. Just remember, quick recap on everything as we go through this. Chapter 5, remember the three important aspects we, that we talked about throughout what Paul's talking about here? Three things to remember, and that is the covenant that we're in covenant with God and we're either under the covenant of works in Adam or the covenant of grace in Jesus Christ. Where are you? I'm going to ask that again at the end of this message. Uh, we talked about representation, that we are represented and everyone represented either by Adam or Christ. And in Adam, we're fallen. In Christ, we are redeemed. Amen. That's easy enough. That representation, we had a Basically, a whole message on that, at least you know, a good portion of a message. And then original sin, just the depth of sin. That's really underplayed, even in Christian circles. How, how sinful we are, even to the core of our being. You know, man, that's, that's why Christ had to come and redeem us. That's why we can't save ourselves. I know that's a hard message, but it's, it's the truth of God's word. So we're going to finish up today. Last week, we, we really, really drilled in on what it means to be an Adam. And, and, and that sinfulness and our helplessness, hopelessness apart from Christ. We're going to put a lid on that today, and then we're going to turn to the grace of God in Jesus Christ, which we all receive. Finally, the great news of Christ in, in the gospel. Um, but just before we do that, before we get into it, I've gotten questions, and I know I mentioned this before we got into chapter 5, just to clear up a couple of things regarding some of the language that's used here. Um, so in verse 19, for instance, it, well, let's just read verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, and by one man's righteousness, uh, men, by one man, many were made righteous. And then back up to verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, uh, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. So there's the many and the all there. And sometimes we get confused even as, as Christians. Oh, what does that mean, the many and the all there? Does that mean that, you know, isn't universalists love this passage. They said, see, all are saved. He died for all. That means all go to heaven. See, when you're reading in the context, not only the, the immediate context, but the context of Scripture, that, that, that doesn't mean that at all, not at all. All he's talking about here, what Paul was doing, he's just being consistent, but he's, what, he, what he's talking about is representation. Who represents you, Adam or Christ, one or the other? Uh, so, for instance, in verse 19, if many were made sinners by Adam, that means that some people weren't born in sin. Do you know anybody who's not born in sin? Anybody? Anybody? Well, you know, Christ, obviously, but any, anybody else? No, we don't, because we're all born in sin. See, he's just being consistent there. And then also, when he talks about all, you know, all have sinned in Adam, yeah, we could agree with that. All were saved in Christ. Well, again, the universalists love that, but that's not the clear 
teaching of Scripture. That's clearly not the case. It's not even remotely the teaching of Scripture. Why do you think Jesus Christ came to save people from going hell? Who does he save? All those who believe in him, all those whom he chose, chose before the foundation of the world. So Matthew 10, 28 says this. Jesus makes the distinction. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot destroy the soul. Rather, fear him, that is God, who can destroy both body and soul. Where? In hell. Okay, and then also Matthew 25, 41. They will, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So we can go on and on. I just want to make that clarification because sometimes that trips us up. And people will try to trip you up and they'll say, hey, it says all here and it says many there. It's just a matter of representation. Right? Is that cool? Capiche? You got that? Understand? Good. So let's move on. Whole chapter here, we talk about the covenants of, covenant of works or the covenant of grace. Each has a representative, representative. Each of us is under one of these. Make that your framework in life. Either you're under the covenant of works with Adam, fallen, or the covenant of grace in Christ. This is what Paul's getting at. This is the paradigm. This is the reality. And all this is, is really just an expansion. Um, we talk about the covenant of works of Psalm 51.5. What does David say in Psalm 51.5? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. All right? Covenant of works. Born in sin. Born in Adam. That goes back to Genesis 3.6. Well, how did we get there? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That is our fall into sin. That's our connection goes back to Adam and Eve, which goes back to Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord commanded the man, saying, You surely may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Covenant of works. Capiche? Good. That's it should be part of our framework. This explains why, people, this explains why <clears throat> so much, so much of how the world is the way that it is and how my people are the way that they are. That's This is what explains it. This is our fallenness. So what I'm doing, I'm putting a cap, a cap on last week, a lid on last week, that in Adam, verse 12, sin has entered the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. With Adam, there comes condemnation. With Adam, there comes judgment. With Adam, we are enemies of God. That's You have to have that in your mindset. You have to be tough on this one. All right? Don't give in to the spirit of the day and the spirit of the age. It says, no, we're mostly sinful, but there's always a little part of us that's kind of righteous. Don't do that. Don't be tempted to do that. Be strong when you're talking to people. No, 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 no. Here's what the Bible actually teaches because that's the truth, and that's what makes redemption so much sweeter as Christ saves us. Um, <clears throat> we talked about this last week. We're not neutral. There's no neutrality. We're not a blank slate when we're born the inclination is towards sin. You know this. I know this. If you have a little kid, you know this. It doesn't take long to see that inclination. We are inclined to lie, cheat, steal, murder, hate, envy, slander, towards promiscuity, greed, gossip, pride, self-centeredness, doing what we want, getting our own way. 
That's why we need governing. That's why we have law enforcement. That's why we have courts. That's why we need prisons. Don't listen to anybody who says we don't need these things. No, we don't. We absolutely need these things. Why? Because of the fall, because of our sinful inclination, because of our sin. Understand? Easy enough. It's why people worship the earth. Why do you think people worship the sky, the trees, the, the you know, Mother Nature, so-called? Now, that, that's, this is why, because we're falling. We've taken the, the, the true God, put him over here, and we worship what we want to worship. False religions. That's why people worship themselves. We're in a big day right now where people are worshiping themselves. That's the kind of age that we're living in. That's why we have dictators around the world. Chaos, disorder, and strife, corruption of all kinds. This is the reality. This is the reality. And the thing is, it's nothing new. Listen, man, the same kinds of sins that are committed today have been, have been committed, being committed from the fall, from the time of the fall. Different context maybe, right? But we're still the same. We have that same heart. So don't think and don't say, well, it's just our lousy environment. It's just the way things are in the world. It's just, no, 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 no. Cain was envious of his brother Abel. And what did he do? Right away, right? Yes. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. David lusted after Bathsheba. What did he do? This is thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And it's not about environment. It's not about blank slate. It's not about people with good intentions who just kind of went wrong, who weren't raised right. This is our nature, man. This is what's very clear. Athaliah wanted to usurp the throne in Judah. So what did she do? She had her grandsons murdered. Okay? We don't do that today, do we? We don't scheme in that way. You don't see that these days. No, no, no. Huh? Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. What did that baby do? Naboth said, no, I'm not going to sell it to you. He went home and he cried. He threw a fit. So his wife Jezebel did what? She came up with a scheme. She came up with a plan. And Naboth ended up dead. And they got the vineyard to plant their garden. That doesn't happen these days, right? Oh, we're still, that, that. Ammon raped his half-sister Tamar. You see what I'm trying to, t- see what scripture teaches about? Nothing new under the sun. They were doing that then, we're doing it now. Just times have changed. The heart doesn't change. That's all there is to it. Nations worshipped false gods then. They offered up their infants to Moloch and to Baal and to Dagon. But we don't do that today, do we? We don't offer our children up to anything or anyone. Fertility God and goddesses, their sex cults were everywhere, all over the place. All kinds of perversion took place. Yeah, even back then. Wars, battles, destruction, magic, dark arts. Think of the Egyptians, all those false worship. That doesn't happen today, right? I was at the bookstore the other day. There's a whole section on the dark arts. And it's not just like playing around. This is Barnes & Noble. Modern Guide to Witchcraft. Astrology. I can't read because I can't see that. Journey of the Souls, a case study between lives. Let's see, this is right there, front and center, the tarot cards. Go to Barnes and you'll check it out and you'll see. But, you know, but we're so advanced now, right? We're advanced in our day and age. We don't, we don't sin. Nothing changes. Times change. People do not. Why are people the way they are? Why is the world the way that it is? Because people are inherently good? <laughs> because things just didn't go their way? Because of a lousy environment? Because lack of education? No. no. 
because we're sinners. The same kinds of transgressions were committed all along different ethnic lines. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your socio-political station in life. It doesn't matter your um, economic situation, your education. It doesn't matter where you are in every corner of this planet. This is what's common to us, and it always has been because we're in Adam. Don't be fooled today by people saying people are basically good in nature. They just need this, this, and this. We're sinful in nature. doesn't matter. The respectable to the underprivileged, the absurdly wealthy to the poorest of the poor. We all sin. Why? Because sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all have I don't know. Some of you are saying, come on, pastor. Man, <laughs> you're so tough. You're so pessimistic, you know. And I, I guess I am a little by nature, but it's not that. I'm actually pretty optimistic. I don't know. Am I? I uh, it, but this is the truth that Scripture teaches. This is what the Word of God teaches. Right? That's why we believe it. And we see it playing out in life. But you're going to say, hey, look, I know a lot of nice people. A lot of you are nice people. Good people. Honest people. You know, you go to the mall, they're sweet, but they open the door for you. They let you go in. They'll, you know, compliment you. They'll say nice things. People do nice things all the time. They're honest people, for sure, good people. And you're going to say that to me, and, and that's, you know, okay. What about doctors? Doctors, they save lives. Okay, talk to the staff, talk to the nurses about some of the doctors. Not every single doctor, but there's a lot of doctors who are actually scoundrels behind the scenes, who, who kind of, they do what they do, but they don't necessarily really care about life, but they like the benefits of what they receive. So, you know what I mean? Even though we could do very good things, but it doesn't mean the heart is right. School teachers, they love their little kids. They're doing such a wonderful thing, and they do a wonderful thing. Have you ever been in a teacher's lounge? That's all I'm going to say. Pastors! You got your pastors who love the Lord, who bring the word. I could tell you about pastors. Hopefully not me, right? <laughs> if you know me. Right? It's not what you do. It's who you are and what we are by nature. Now, there's two things also when we say the good things that regulate sin. I'm still putting in a cap on from last week. Two things that regulate sin. Number one, the law acts as a restraint. Amen and praise God. And when you really think about it, you need to think hard about that because we don't think too much how much the law restrains us. Yes, even you, even the good person, even the nice person, even the wonderful person. If those laws and certain laws were, were taken out, if you would not get into any trouble, if you wanted to do whatever you wanted to do, if something was inherently wrong, but you wanted to do it, but there wasn't a law against it, you would be more than tempted and most likely do it. You know, just think about your own mind. Know yourself. If there wasn't a law against something, then you would, if you knew that you weren't going to get in trouble, then what would you do? That's all I'm going to say. You think about that in your own heart and your own life. But, but the law restrains that evil. It just does because you're afraid of the punishment, and that's good. You're afraid of the consequences. I'd like to, but if I get busted, then I'm in big trouble. You know, if there wasn't a law, and, and that's just proven out time and time and time again. Think about some of the laws that have, were on the books or off the books. We could, again, low-hanging fruit, but think about divorce. At one time, if you're old enough, in this congregation, you knew that there were laws against divorce. Back in the day, you had to prove 
you had to have evidence and proof, right, to meet the standards to, to gain a divorce. Now, there were requirements, and you, and you could, absolutely, in, in certain situations, but you had to go to court. You had to prove it. You had to sue for it. It was not easy to get divorced. I hear some of the women that might be saying, well, yeah, that's why women are so oppressed, and they had to stay in these marriages. No, 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 because still on the books, there were laws with provision in certain situations where you could sue for divorce, but it cost, and you had to prove certain things. But the idea behind it was to deter that so that you would stay married and not go for easy divorce, that you would work it out, that you would be faithful to those vows you took. Now, in the mid-'70s, when, those, when, that, when that was gone, when that was taken out, what happened? We see it. And I don't care what the circumstances are, how wrong it was, how justified you are, whatever the case, whatever the situation, and there might be reasons why, legitimate reasons for that, biblical reasons for that, but it still hurts, and it still does damage to the family, and it doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter how old the children are. If, if Laura and I, we would never, but if we did, our kids would not be happy. Because it, it hurts. It's not the way God meant it to be. And there's those laws of restraint to keep it in place. But when those laws are taken out, boom, there it goes. We're going to go. We're going to do that. So that, think about that restraining aspect of the law uh, with vice laws. Again, if you're old enough to remember the vice laws, you can do most of the things, even loitering kind of laws. Things were restricted. People were afraid. They didn't do it. They ease up on them. They don't enforce them. They get rid of them. Go walk downtown. Well, don't, but, you know, day or night, you take that out. You see that, that restraint, that, that regulates sin. If we didn't have that restraint on us. Huh. Second thing is that we retain the image of God. See, people aren't as bad as they can be oftentimes. You know, there's always somebody worse type of thing in that way. We're not as bad as we can be. And we can do good things because we do reflect the image of God. And we can do helpful things. And people do it all the time who aren't Christians. Sometimes non-Christians are more helpful than Christians in different situations and in different ways. That's a reflection of the image of God that shows that you're made in the image of a good God that you owe all your obedience to. But even the nicest person, even the kindest person, even the most wonderful person in the world does not meet the requirements of God's standard, does he or she. They're still born in sin. They do not, they cannot meet the perfect standard of righteousness. There's only one who does that, and his name is Jesus Christ, so we turn our focus to him this morning. Amen and praise God. That's it. That puts a cap on last week. So we're going to follow the thread of hope and grace and peace and love in our Lord Jesus Christ. First thing I want you to notice in this, I'm not going to read every instance of it, but verse 15, he says, the free gift is not like the trespass. The free gift, and he goes on, and he talks about throughout this five different times, he mentions the free gift of grace. Do you understand that? Paul's emphasizing that salvation is free. It's a gift to us. It's something that, that, that there's nothing you can do to earn the gift of salvation. That's a big temptation. I know we talk about this a lot because the scripture talks about it a lot. Because that's our tendency to try to earn, to try to win favor, to try to merit salvation from God. It has to be free. We know that salvation has to be free. It's impossible for you to please God, to earn God on your own merits. Like if you look before him and you, you offer up the best you have to God, 
Like, you know that you can't. Just kind of think about that concept or that idea, and you're going to say, no, 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 I know it's not good enough. And if you think it's good enough, it shows that you're arrogant and you really need the Lord God because no one is good. It's not based on who you are. It's not based on what you've done. It's not based on what you do. It's based on the grace of Christ. It's a free gift, right? And while it's freely received by us, it cost him everything to purchase redemption. That's the love of Christ upon us. He sets us free. He sets us free. If you're a Christian this morning, you've been set free. Do you know that? Amen. Praise God. We have been set free. We've been set free from the power of sin over us. We're going to be talking about that. We've been set free from Satan, death, and hell. And in the place, we have forgiveness, victory, life, and heaven. Amen. We are free indeed. I came to set you free. And if you're in me, you are free indeed. That's what he's talking about. Not free to do whatever we want. Not free to live the life as we see fit. But free from the power of sin, Satan, and death. Every other so-called way of salvation or, you know, better betterment, empowerment, whatever, involves you doing something. You understand that? Only Christianity, only the gospel, only Christ says you can do nothing. Everything has to be a gift because we're not able to do that. It's not in us to do that. We're not righteous in and of ourselves. Again, everything else, go try it. Go try any other philosophy, any other religion, any other self-help type of thing. The name itself gives it away. What's it require of you? It requires you to do something. It requires you to merit. It requires you to earn. It requires you to find favor somehow with this deity that you might be accepted. Follow the rules. Figure it out. Work on it. Work on yourselves. Only Christianity offers a free gift of salvation. Are you in Christ this morning? Do you know him? Have you received that gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. If not, cry out to him even now that you may be saved. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive that gift. And you'll know that freedom. And no circumstance can weigh you down to the point where there's hopelessness, to the point where you're just kind of lost without any hope or, or any kind of solace or comfort in any way. In Christ, no matter what circumstance we, we are in or what we face, we always have hope, we always have strength, we always have comfort and love that comes from him because we are free in him. Amen. Don't you, uh, don't you, amen. And don't you love the language that he uses here that kind of counters the consequences in Adam, the depth, the richness, the hopefulness, the, the surety, the confidence in the love. <clears throat> Notice in verse 15, he says, but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through one man's trespass, much more, that's another, much more, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Abounded. That's a beautiful word. And that just means overflowing. He's overflowing with, with grace and love for us. More than enough. It's generous. When Jesus filled up the wine barrels, each one of them were overflowing, filled to the rim because of his grace. That's that abounding love of Christ. And then he goes on and says, how much more? Much more in Christ. <clears throat> That's almost a rhetorical way of saying, how much more in Christ? If you were condemned in Adam, how much more are you loved in Christ because of that grace? That's just a, a, a way of, of saying it's more than you can ever imagine. right? It's more than you can fathom. It's monumental. It's an absolute transformation. 
Here's who we are in Christ. You were in Adam, the covenant of works are in Christ. In Christ, <clears throat> we're under the covenant of grace and we're set free. Adam disobeyed, Jesus obeyed perfectly. Adam brought condemnation, Jesus brings justification and salvation. Adam brings death, Jesus brings life. Those are the three things we want to focus in on just a little bit as we go through this. How did he do this for us, Jesus? He was obedient. Again, back to verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many die through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Adam disobeyed, Jesus Christ obeyed perfectly. Where Adam failed, Jesus passed the test. Perfect, completely, and fully. That's why you're in heaven. That's why you have a place. That's why we're saved, because Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life for you to the glory of God. So Hebrews 4.15 says this, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are yet without sin. Remember last week we talked about temptation and we talked about being unfair. If I was in that place, I said, no way. I mean, even today, slightest temptation, so many of us just go off into that sin, right? That's what we do. Christ faced, faced temptation upon temptation, knows what it means, can sympathize with us. He knows exactly the temptation that we feel. And yet he did not sin because he loves you that much and for the glory of his father. Amen. That's the depth of love of Jesus Christ for us, man. That's what he did for us. He was obedient. Adam failed in the garden, didn't he? Right in the garden. He took and he ate. Jesus never wavered, even in the garden as Luke prayed. And we read in Matthew 26, 39, after going a little farther, he, farther, he fell on his face praying, saying, my father, just think of the temptation. Just think of the suffering, knowing what he was about to endure. And he says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, because of his love for you. See? Perfect obedience on your behalf, because we cannot. There's only one person who Satan couldn't get to sin. Think of the best person you know, even in the Bible. Right? Who is it? Right? Do we, I mean, obviously Adam and Eve. What about Abraham? Sin. Jacob? Sin. Moses? Sin. David? Sin. Ruth? Sin. Esther? Sin. Peter? Sin. Paul? Sin. Only Christ. Because one sin would mean failure and death for all of us. See, one thing you need to know about this covenant of grace that we're in Jesus Christ, that perfect obedience, and understand this, just the depth of love and what Christ went through for us, that God doesn't lower the standard. That perfect obedience and righteous standard remains. It's not like, oh, after Adam and Eve fell, I guess I'll lower the bar a little bit. This was too hard for them, so make it easier. I guess I'll lower my standard. They don't have to meet this kind. No, no, no. That, that requirement, he doesn't lower the bar. Christ meets it. The gospel is not about changing the holy standard of God or the demands of the law. It's about Jesus keeping that standard for us. Amen? Praise God. You are loved by your Savior. You are loved by Jesus Christ that he lived a perfect life for you and for us. How much more should we love him? How much more should we seek to live for him? Do you understand? Do you understand how hard... The trials and the difficulty and the pain. We just think it's easy. Oh, he was Jesus. Jesus' obedience, number two, results in justification. Verse 16 says this. 
as a free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Then in verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Then verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The reason that God can can accept you, can accept us as righteous, the reason he can declare us not guilty, the reason he pardons all of our sins, is because Jesus' righteousness is credited to you. We know this, we've been through this, but you need to understand it and get it in your heart of hearts. His righteousness is given to us, stamped to our account, imputed to us. Our sin is imputed to Christ. He pays for it. Second Corinthians 5.21, this should be memorized by now. You should know this. You should have it down. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that him we might become the righteousness of God. We are justified in Christ. We have a little slide on justification. There it is, simple in this way. We believe in Christ. Our guilt is credited to Jesus on the cross. Christ's righteousness is credited to us. God sees you as he sees his son. He doesn't see sinful you. He sees the work of his son imputed to you. You're righteous. Your sins are pardoned. Everything's forgiven. Amen? The merits of his perfect sinless life, of his atoning death on the cross, belong to you as you believe in him. Check out verse 18. He says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness. Of course, this whole section of Scripture encompasses Jesus' work, his whole life. But when he talks about that one act, that especially points to the cross, where Jesus bore the wrath, where Jesus took the punishment of God that our sin deserves, that you deserve, that we may be saved. He satisfied, he appeased the wrath of God on the cross. You understand? That is our justification. That's what makes us Christian. That's what sets us apart from everything and everyone else. That's why Jesus Christ is the only way. You can't go to Buddha and be justified. You can't go to Muhammad and be justified. You can't go to Mother Earth and be justified. It's only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God. Listen, I'm not great with illustration. I wish I had Paul Washer's ability to bring illustrations on, but... Uh, just, just so you get this, for those who are in Jesus Christ, I mean, if you're truly in Christ this morning, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what it's like to be justified. It's not a perfect illustration or analogy. I know Jim's probably going to come and say, well, you said this here. <laughs> just go with me on this. <laughs> Listen, this is what it means to be justified. Say you have a bank account, just a checking account, whatever. And you are overdrawn in that. When your bank account's overdrawn, then you know that you're in trouble. You have all those penalties and fees. They're going to close your account. But here's the thing. There's a glitch in the system. There's a glitch there with the bank. So they don't know that you're overdrawn. It's just kind of going past. I know you're, I can't. Okay, but they don't. Like I said, please go with me on this. So you're spending your money. Hey, man, they're not charging me. They're not, they're not, they're not bothering me. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to Puerto Rico. I'm going to go to Acapulco. I'm going to buy this and I'm going to buy. And you're just building up and building up that debt. And that debt is there and it's not paid for. And, and you just, you're, there you go, man. Well, one day your phone rings and it's the bank. They fixed the glitch and they found out all that you spent, how, how far overdrawn you are in that account. 
So you're on the hook, aren't you? So you're worried, you're avoiding the phone calls, you're doing everything you, you can to do that, but, but one day the phone does ring and you pick it up and it's the, it's the bank manager. And you think, okay, I'm dead, that's it, it's over now, I'm busted, I'm, I'm going to go to jail, I'm never going to be able to pay this, I don't have money to do this, and you know, I'm just, there I am. But imagine that bank manager picks up that phone and he says to you, sir, ma'am, your debt has been paid in full. All that money that you spent, and you know what you were doing, even though we didn't know, but we didn't say anything, all that was paid off with no cost to you. See, like you're saying, that can't be. That's unbelievable. Yes, exactly. It's unbelievable, isn't it? No guilt. No guilt. You're not guilty. It's paid off completely. It's paid off in full. No penalties. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to make anything up. It's, you're, you're fine. And no punishment. Isn't that nice? See, we can't believe it because it would never happen. That's what justification is. But not only that, the next day you get the phone call to manager again. He says, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you one thing. I forgot to tell you one thing. You have a balance in that account for $100 billion. <laughs> $100 billion. <laughs> and that doesn't even cover it. All right, so how do you feel? Spiritually, that's what it's like. That's what it's like to be justified in Christ. That's what justification is. It's like this, all your debts are on him. He pays the price. All his righteousness is given to you. We live in that. We love that because it doesn't, how could you do that? How could you pay my debts? I was guilty. No punishment. No payment, it doesn't seem fair. I need to do something. It's been paid in full. It's a free gift. That's what Paul's teaching us here in Romans 5, and that's what you need to get in your heart. One more thing, verse 17, it leads to life. Amen? It leads to life. Our justification, our grace leads to life. He says this, For because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man much more. And there's that rhetorical, like much more will those who receive the abundance of grace in the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Amen. We reign in life. These are the benefits. This, these are the benefits of justification that Paul is bringing forth. So he says this, it leads to life. That means spiritually, you've been transformed. You're not who you were. Amen. Praise God. You know what you were, and you know who you were. And you were trying so hard. Well, maybe, maybe if I do this, God will love me. And hopefully God, and I'm going to cross my fingers and just hope that I could do well enough. I know I'm not like the Apostle Paul, but I'm not Hitler either. Maybe I'll make that cutoff line somewhere in between. That's kind of our hope apart from Christ. That says, no, no, no. In Christ, you have been transformed. You are a new creation. You are a new man in him. You have been born again. You're no longer your own. You understand that? You don't belong to yourself. You can't say, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I feel like doing, even if it's contrary to God's word. I'm going to feel this way, even though I know it's not consistent with God. You can't do that anymore as a Christian. You won't want to do that. You may be tempted to do that, right? But that's not who you are anymore. You belong to Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you? He's the one who applies the redemption. He changes the heart. He gives us new life, right? The Holy Spirit within you 
whom you have from God, and you are not your own. That is so contrary to today's ethos, to today's thinking. I'm my own person. I'm doing what I want. I can change who I am. I could be what I want. No! If you're in Christ Jesus, I don't belong to me. I may want to do this, but if your word says differently, I'm going to do what you want me to do because you're my Savior, and I love you, and I belong to you, and I know you know what's best for me. Keep me from sin and temptation. May I walk in your ways. Um, don't you love not being your own? Amen. Don't you love belonging to him, that he continually loves us, that we don't go our own way? People that think they have it made, people that think they're free are in such bondage. They're so lost. They're so hopeless. They'll try anything to fill that void because they do not know him. They think they belong to themselves. They actually do not. They belong to their father, the devil. But you are not your own. You belong to Christ. Why? You were bought with a price. There's our justification. So glorify God in your body. That's our sanctification. Amen? Praise God. I love being a Christian. I love that he saved us from what we were to who we are right now. When you believe in him, then you live for him. I'm sick and tired of these people. I'm a Christian, but then they live their lives as if Christ doesn't exist. You know, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to break every every command that he has. I'm not going to trust in any promise that he gives. I'm just going to, no, you can't do that. And that's so prevalent today. We have these phony Christians. I'm going to worship him the way that I want. Well, it's from my heart. But if it's not biblical, if you're not worshiping him the way he commands, he's not going to be pleased with that, right? So, so we, we want to know him more, what he commands, what he promises, what he has for us. How much is going to cost us to, to follow Christ? It might cost us our jobs. It might cost us different relationships in different ways. But we're in him. It's Christ before everything, and everything comes under the dominion of Christ. We're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do you know that? Every single thought should be captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought we have, is this in accord with Scripture? Is this in line with what Christ would have me be? Is this the way I need to react as a Christian man, as a Christian woman? Is this pleasing to my Lord when I react in this way? Right? Or is it pleasing to him when I obey him, even though it's hard? Even though, like, you know, if somebody, I don't know. I can't think of an illustration right now. I gave you my good illustration for today. Right? Christ is before everything, and everything comes under his dominion. You take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every action with the desire to please him. You know those what would Jesus do little bracelets? Sometimes you think they're corny and weird and, oh, you know. Listen, they, 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 they are, for Christians, they are a good reminder. If you're a Christian, that's right. What will my Savior do? What am I called to do in this particular situation? Now, you don't want to use them as a, you know, as a kind of moralistically to show people, oh, but you know what? We should be asking our questions. What, my, what does my Savior require of me? What would Christ do in this situation? How does he expect me to respond and react in this situation? And as you grow in Christ, as you grow in knowledge and understanding, even in, through this section, maybe even through this section, you're being reminded and perhaps even learning for the first time just how undeserving you really are. Right? How undeserving you are and how amazing His grace is. And when you realize that, when you realize what you have in Christ, then that makes you more willing. That's why we want you to learn the Bible. Not so you just learn the facts and the doctrines. Of course, you want to understand the technical aspects. But we want you to learn the, the teaching of Scripture to see the depth of his love, that he loved us this much. Man, I really was unworthy. I really was that bad. 
And, yet, and that's what Scripture teaches us. And yet he lifted me out of that mire and that muck. And he's placed me on high. I love him because of what he's done for me. I See, if you know your Bible, you're going to be more humble and willing to serve him in every single way. Because you're going to see how amazing his grace is. It makes us more willing to give our lives completely to Christ, to trust him, to, to, every, to live every moment under his command and for his glory. That's our goal as Christians, right? Don't you want to do that? Paul says in Philippians 121, we're going to close, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's simple. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's not me who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. Let thy will be done. Let thy righteousness be done. Let me react the way you want me to. We have life in him. That's the third thing. Beyond this life, living for him, we have eternal life waiting for us in his presence, right? Uninterrupted, unending joy and fellowship, worship of our King and Savior and of our God. That's why even the hymns that we sing, it always comes back, that last stanza, always to the glory that, that awaits us as Christian, our eschatological hope in Christ. So I'm going to ask, are you in Adam? Covenant of works, which you're born into, which is futile, that will lead to death? Or by faith, are you in Christ in the covenant of grace? That's the gospel. If you know not Christ this morning, you trust in him. You place your trust in him. And if you want to talk to Luke, to Aaron, to myself, you do that. You take time. We'll hear. We'll pray with you. Next week, we're going to talk about the objections to this benefits of the justification. Because now Paul's saying, here's the benefits of being justified in Christ. But then there's going to be Always, there's always pushback. There's always pushback. So next week, we're going to start with some of that pushback. Well, if we're in Christ, can we sin? Can we live any way we want? Paul begins to answer objections to the freedom and the benefits of our justification. So we'll start that next week.